ready to get and stay fit? Welcome to Fit, Positive, Confident with Dr. Gordon, where the focus is on your whole person health, physical, mental, and spiritual. Because your health can be affected by so many factors, Dr. G covers a range of topics in this program, from eating healthy to world-shaping events. So relax and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody here. I'm starting a radio show and I'm choking. I don't know why I'm choking, Richard. I'm just so emotional that you're here with me. No, no. no you're choking on the fact that I'm here. <laughs> See how you turn things around right away? Oh, no. I'm a philosopher. That's what I do, right? I just what? turn everything around. That, that's where your doctorate came in for, you know, philosophy. That's right. and you it's can a doctorate and turning everything around. You can philosophize a lot. Anyways, for those of you who that's, don't know, yeah. Richard, he's a good friend of mine, Dr. Richard Jensen. Um, doctor of philosophy, right? Yeah. Well, what the hell what is philosophy? Useless, <laughs> yeah, it's a useless, ridiculous discipline. Uh, you know, it's like blank studies. Um you know, what, what idiot gets a degree in philosophy? I mean, you, you can't do anything with it. It's, uh, no one cares about it. You know, it's, it's just a gigantic joke, top to bottom, end to end. And yet you spent all these years not just learning about it, but then teaching others all this useless... Uh... Yeah, and so much money I spent on this. And what a ridiculous... No, but in all seriousness... Um, <laughs> I'm kind of parroting the kinds of things that most introductory, introductory to philosophy students think and feel and have often expressed, you know, because it's a general education class and in most universities, you have to take an introduction to philosophy class in order to graduate. Just a requirement. Uh, because, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a requirement. And what a lot of people don't realize is that even the little phrase PhD literally mm -hmm. stands for philosophy doctorate. So right, all right. PhDs are doctors of philosophy. And the reason is because philosophy was the original academic discipline and still is the overarching academic discipline. So when people think, well, what do philosophers do? Um, I would say things like, well, where do you think AI research emerged, computer science research emerged, linguistic research, mathematics research, even science research. Uh, I, I could really go off on a rant here. Maybe I should. I mean, that's what we're having a radio program so that I can rant, right? Right, right, right. But do, 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 no, do, people, do people in those other fields uh, recognize the importance of uh, philosophy? The, the... Uh, many do. I mean, I think a lot of, yeah, what ends up happening is as a discipline gets spun off of philosophy and ends up becoming its own discipline, then uh, like parents leave, I mean, like kids leaving the house and then forgetting about their parents until they need to move back into the basement, um, you know, these disciplines end up <laughs> forgetting their roots. Um, but philosophy is still there, often correcting their excesses and, and correcting their mistakes. I think what a lot of people don't realize is things like uh, philosophy of science. Well, philosophers are not scientists, but you would think that scientists would understand what it is they're doing when they, quote, do science, unquote, where you hear people say, follow the science. But what does that even mean? What, what is science? What is doing science? 
see scientists get all involved in research um, and they produce things like particle accelerators and space shuttles that don't blow up most of the time. But ultimately, doing science is far, far more philosophically involved than most people, including most scientists, even realize. I mean, you have leading physicists like Richard Feynman back in the 60s that was very clear on philosophy of science and was very clear on explaining, uh, even to his science students, what the philosophical underpinnings of science were. But most scientists really don't understand that they're actually doing philosophy and in many cases doing it badly. So philosophy of science is sort of a check and balance against bad science. So give us a, a little education on philosophy of science. What is it? What's the well, right okay, philosophy so... of science? If I'm, a, if let's say I'm developing those rockets for Elon Musk's to go up to Mars. He wants us he wants to go to Mars in his lifetime. Yeah, so what science is is some kind of a relation between a theory and the development of experimental evidence. And so most people think that in, including most scientists think that what you're doing when you're doing science is that you're generating or refining or developing a theory and then you're testing that theory with experiments. And so the grand process of science is theorize and then test with experiments. Now, most people believe that what science is doing is confirming theories. And you see all the time in the popular literature and even in um, some well-known semi-rigorous uh, scientific journals like science, for example. Semi-rigorous? Um, yeah, semi-rigorous. I mean, it's not a full-on sort of peer-reviewed journal that no one but scientists can read, but it's it's kind of a bridge between peer-reviewed journal articles and the lay populace. So in even science, um, <clears throat> you'll hear phrases like, uh, such and such theory was just confirmed by this brand new groundbreaking experiment, blah, blah, blah. Or science shows or studies show and everywhere you get this idea that experimental evidence shows or proves or confirms a particular theory. And most scientists uh, actually believe that that's the case, but nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Um, so let's ask the question, you know, have, have our listeners think about this for a second. What is the difference between the scientific method and, let's say, astrology? Hmm. I don't think anyone would confuse astrology with being a science. Right. But why is astrology not a science? What makes a science different from astrology? Astrology, you can't, uh, you have a bunch of theories that you can't prove. Well, see, that's the standard, I would call it lay naive right response. right right and i'm not saying naive pejoratively i'm saying naive as in uneducated on this subject right if you are libra then you 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 know you should look for a partner who is i don't know whatever right but the point is it it, it turns out that it's exactly the opposite of what you just said because an astrologer will say look everywhere we look are confirmations that this works and so notice that 
astrology, quote unquote, works. It makes predictions and those predictions come true. And numerology as well. Exactly. And so if you're an astrologist, everywhere you look, there are confirmations that what you think is true. Right. Well, that's what most people think science is doing. Look, all these experiments are confirming that this theory is true. Or this theory makes, makes predictions, and look, they turn out. It works. This theory works. It enables us to make good predictions. Well, isn't that exactly what astrology is doing? And so that can't be what differentiates science from astrology, because they both work, mm -hmm. and they both have self-confirmations. Now, some people will say, oh, okay, okay, I, I get it. I get it, Richard. What, what's going on here is that, um, well, it's interpretive. Okay, so see, astrology is hugely interpretive. So the way it appears to work is because people interpret these predictions as coming true. But science has objective analysis, proof. right? Science has peer-reviewed objective proofs that this has come true. Uh, that this prediction has come true. And I would say, well, yeah, so, you know, you, you feel like you're on the right track there, but even that isn't accurate because what's really happening in science is still a huge amount of interpretation of the evidence. Mm. Uh, if, if you want just one example, uh, look at the quote-unquote discovery of the Higgs boson. Okay. Um if anyone's interested and they look into this in some depth, what they will find is that there were over a hundred different, quote, Higgs bosons, unquote, that could have been discovered. In other words, the standard model predicted over a hundred different variants of the Higgs boson, and what they discovered, quote, unquote, uh, was just one of those variants. And so the range of what they could have found as a quote-unquote confirmation was actually quite huge. And whereas in general relativity, there was one supposed cosmological constant that was an arbitrary turning of the dial, so to speak, and Einstein despised it, but it was necessary for the theory. It turns out that in the standard model, of quantum theory, there are dozens and dozens of cosmological constants or turning of the dial to interpret things the way you need to for the theory to be confirmed. Okay, let's come back after the break and continue. All right, <clears throat> welcome back to the show. I'm uh, in well, I'm not in the studio with Richard, but you are here. Your spirit, I can feel it almost. You know, <laughs> your spirit. Um, <laughs> Is that scientifically rigorous? That's scientifically very rigorous, and uh, <laughs> so a part of you is here. Some particle of you is here. I don't know if we can prove that or not. Um, we are talking about philosophy. Well, it's got to be quantumly entangled particles or something. <laughs> You are educating us about philosophy of science. Yeah, I don't know how we got off on this tangent, but that's the way our, our shows seem to go together. Um, yeah, so what I was saying before the break was that uh, really the, the, the difference between a science 
and something like astrology has nothing to do with the fact that predictions come true or that it appears to work or that you can make useful predictions because both astrologists and scientists claim the same thing. And, and so somebody might say, well, uh, I'm uh, sorry, you they, know, that's all. It, they, they claim that they have evidence for whatever they are proposing, right? Correct. So they have a theory. The theory makes predictions. The predictions seem to come true. <clears throat> you know, somebody who's using astrology says, well, look, don't tell me that these predictions aren't useful and that they don't manifest in really important ways. Because, I mean, look, I followed my astrological um, Chart. predictions and, and I found the, the most wonderful spouse and we've been married for 20 years. And if it hadn't been for astrology, I would have never even known where to look. And so you can't tell me that astrology doesn't work. It obviously works. I have this wonderful marriage. Tell me it doesn't work. And how do you argue um, against it? Well, I mean, I'm you not, at this moment, I'm not arguing against right. it. All well, I'm literally uh, saying is you, you, you can't distinguish as neatly between a science and astrology as most people and certainly most scientists think you can. But the scientist so, is going to laugh at what you just said. Exactly. They're going to well, say, say to you, that's a ridiculous statement, Dr. Jensen. Absolutely. Absolutely. While in the same breath, they're going to say, but I know my theory is true because, look, I can use it to land a man on the moon. And what they're not realizing when they make that statement is all they've done is exactly the same thing. They've said, my theory makes predictions that when I follow those predictions, I get these expected results and they're really significant results. And somebody might say, well, but wait, wait, wait. No, okay, so science is making really fine-grained predictions, whereas astrology is making very coarse-grained predictions. Well, but wait, that that's not a differentiation of type or it's of a, kind. You're saying it's it the doesn't. same thinking process, right? Exactly right. It's the identical thinking process, and it is identically wrong. Uh, it, science is not in the business of making predictions and having them come true and thereby prove theories. Uh, and so what, what philosophy of science recognized in the late 50s and 60s um, that that even noted Nobel Prize winning physicists like uh, Richard Feynman uh, well recognize is that science is not in the business, nor can it be, of confirming theories. It can only be in the business of falsifying theories. Mm. So what science is doing is coming up with theories that make predictions and then testing those predictions, and then asking the question, do these predictions actually come true? And if they do not ever come true, then that is a falsifying evidence against the theory. So then you have the evidence so, against doing a particular thing, because you know it's not gonna work, to put it in, well, a, in a layman's language. Yeah, that, that would be the lay, but I think inaccurate way of casting it. Okay. it. It's more a case of science purports to be in the business of telling us the way the universe really, really, really is. Right. It's, it's supposedly the ultimate truth-seeking mechanism. But what philosophy of science recognizes is it's not that. 
and it cannot in principle be that. What science is, is a pragmatically useful account of the way the universe seems to work to us at the moment. Mm. And so it makes predictions that when those come true, we're able to do some cool things like do particles really tunnel in quantum theory? There's what's called tunneling. Well, we have now tunneling diodes mm. and tunnel diodes make things like all of our electronics, your microwave oven work. Well, so we have a theory. The theory predicts a phenomena called tunneling. We can event, invent a little electronic diode that depends upon this principle of tunneling and it works. And so the theory was useful to getting us towards something that works. But now the question is, does that mean that there is, in fact, in reality, part, little subatomic particles that actually tunnel? Hmm. And the answer is no. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that there are little particles and that they tunnel. That there is, in reality, this phenomena called tunneling. Now, I realize this is counterintuitive to most people because most people live in the world where they make predictions, and when those predictions come true, then they feel that that's a confirmation of the theory that underlies those predictions. And, that's, and then we say it's a fact. Exactly. And so we talk about the facts of the universe, the ultimate objective truths of the universe. And the point is, we can know nothing about the ultimate objective facts of the universe. All we have are little windows into how things appear to work to us at the moment. So what philosophy of science over the many, many, many hundreds of years uh, in, in, since the modern era, era when, when science really became a thing, uh, we've come to realize and can now rigorously prove, and by rigorously prove, I mean deductively prove, not like a scientific theory, but like if P then Q, P therefore Q. I mean doing literal logical deduction to make proofs like mathematics. We can prove that what science is doing is not what most people think science is doing and not what most scientists think science is doing. And what science is doing has nothing whatsoever to do proving to us the way the universe really, really, really is. It's actually the opposite. All we have with any given scientific theory is a theory that's giving us the ability to create cool things, but it's a theory that will be falsified because the whole history of science is the history of theories that have then gotten replaced by other theories. And then those theories got replaced by other theories and so on and so forth. Okay. The whole history of science is replacement of theories because the earlier ones got falsified. And what was thought to be a fact uh, in the 1500s is not t thought to be a fact now. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I want to come back and ask you after this break, uh, how does this affect the everyday average person and we're going to be right back right all 
right, welcome back, folks. Uh, I have the pleasure, uh, distinct pleasure, of interviewing Dr. Richard Jensen <laughs> this morning. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always so fun to talk to you, Richard, because um, because uh, you bring to the table all kinds of very interesting stuff uh, spoken in a in a. Well, you're a teacher. You're, you know, I don't want to say spoken. You teach, so yeah. I mean, you were explaining well, this uh, scientific. Uh, Philosophy of science, right? And I, I'm wondering. Yeah, and, go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I mean, I, I know that's don't cry, please. Gracious, and it, and it's from the heart. And, and yeah, you're you're really choking me up, man. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm playing around a little bit, but yeah, I do appreciate it, and uh, I always appreciate talking with you, Gordon, because you have a, a really insightful uh hunger for for knowledge and and your interviews are i think really scintillating well i do because i want to know what's in it for me (laughs) (laughs) and there it is that's most people right what's in this scientific theory for me what's what's in this bill that congress is about to pass for me uh yeah well, I mean, I'm just intrigued and uh, fascinated by what you were just talking about, you know, about how people think, you know, how scientists think. And I'm wondering if this way of thinking has inf- infiltrated the masses below the, 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 you know, high towers of science. Well, it has. Um, so I'll give you a quick example. Uh, back in the 1800s, mid-1800s, uh, you know, as the West was being... Um, penetrated uh, by Western civilization. Uh, You know, we're we're stamping out the indigenous people, we're taking over land, and we're encountering, among other things, hostile rattlesnakes. And so it's not just hostiles with bows and arrows, we're encountering rattlesnakes. Mm. And cowboys are getting bit by rattlesnakes. And what do you do when you get bit by a rattlesnake? Well, two quick shots of whiskey. That cures snake bite. Wow. And it's good is, to know. This is so, oh man, it's, it's a life changer. It's a lifesaver. And so it actually made it, you can look this up, it made it into all the almanacs that, you know, look, you get bit by a rattlesnake, you need to drink two quick shots of whiskey, and it is a lifesaver. Well, here we have it a theory whiskey cures snake bite, and it makes predictions. Two shots of whiskey. It's a guaranteed cure. You don't die from snake bite if you quickly drink two shots of whiskey. And so we've got predictive power here. And sure enough, every cowboy that got bit by a snake and drank two quick shots of whiskey didn't die from that snake bite. So there we have it, folks. It's a life changer. (laughs) And so this is lay science, if you will. This is the public doing science and doing it very, very badly. Because there are all kinds of aspects of philosophy of science that have made it into rigorous science and that you can actually explain to the lay public, like bound variables, like the idea of uh, identifying extraneous variables and weeding those out of your experiment, and the litany goes on and on. So, for example, it turns out that about half of rattlesnake bites are dry bites, no venom is ever injected. Wow. So if you did absolutely nothing, you didn't even get injected with venom. So <laughs> nothing is having any effect. It was a painful but dry bite. Of the 50% remaining bites that actually some venom is injected, 
Well, actually, typically very little venom is injected. Um, it's very costly for rattlesnakes to produce venom, and they typically, in a defensive bite, inject very little venom. It's more for scare than to kill. Um, so of the about 20% total of bites in which any significant amount of venom is injected, well, it also turns out that most rattlesnakes in the United States are not particularly deadly. Uh, we do have a couple of rattlesnakes, like the Mojave Green uh, and the Eastern Diamondback, in which they have a combination of neurotoxic and hematotoxic venom. And particularly in the case of the Eastern Diamondback, they typically inject massive amounts of venom, uh, and so they can be uh, extremely dangerous bites. Uh, but the vast, 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 vast majority of rattlesnake bites are just not particularly threatening to human beings. And so whiskey works. Whiskey, exactly. <laughs> and it turns out it's irrelevant. Uh, you know, you're getting the exact same outcomes. And so the question you have to ask yourself is not, are all these, you know, non-deaths confirmations of the theory or are we just lacking any falsifying evidences of the theory because the outcomes end up just being the same? Well, it's the second point that's the crucial point. There just aren't falsifying cases or they don't make it into the literature. So you get bit by an Eastern diamondback, you do have a significant probability of dying from it if you don't have antivenom injected. Uh, and they didn't have antivenom back in those days. Well, so why wasn't it the case that anytime somebody died from an Eastern Diamondback, that that made it out into the literature, into the almanacs. Well, now we're getting into science again. How it is that scientific journals end up confirming theories. Mm. Because what happens is, of the people who got bit by Eastern Diamondbacks and died, you would have people saying, but, but it's not really a falsification because they didn't drink whiskey. Mm. We don't know how it would have turned out if they would have drunk whiskey. So, you know, we can't count it. And so it goes on and on. It so perpetuates. Actually, yes. yes. And it's very, very difficult. And it takes a very rigorous process to test a theory explicitly looking for falsifying evidences. And so this goes to the way most people engage with the world. And I'm talking everything from... You drive your car, you turn the wheel left, you go left, you turn the wheel right, you go right, you hit the brakes, you stop. So you believe in a particular system and a particular theory, and you're not out there seeking falsifying evidences. Um, put that with, uh, let's say, political philosophy. Put that with the kind of theories that people have about politics and mm. about this, the way this nation should run. Uh, and what you have is... They're not out there seeking falsifying evidences. Show me the Democrat. Show me the Republican that is out there looking at the other side of the aisle's propaganda and asking themselves this question. What about what the other side is saying it could actually be true and could actually be devastating to my point of view? Who's looking at the other side of the aisle and asking the question, could what they're saying be true? Could it actually completely blow up my whole perspective? See, nobody's looking for falsifications. Everybody's looking for confirmations. Everybody lives their lives trying to confirm what they think. 
and they tend to form little echo chambers around themselves in which all they hear is confirmations of what they think. And the average person is the same way. It, that, that's how the world works. That's how the world runs. Except, um, you know, I would say that uh, professional pol politicians out there, they know, but they're just too shrewd, you know, and too... I mean, they know that there are things that the other side uh, has to say that make sense, but they're not going to go for it anyway. They're never going to. Uh, uh, they're never going to accept it. Their, their job is to go against it, no matter what, even if the other side is right. You know, like well, like um, like vaccines. You know, when uh, when Trump was developing vaccines, all the Democrats were saying, "Oh, this sucks," you know, and the, there is not enough time to develop these vaccines, and they're no good. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few months later, their guy got, comes into the office and all of a sudden vaccines are the God's gift to the planet, you know. And the other side is saying, oh, this, you know, it's, don't take vaccines. So, I mean, they just change their their stand, standings, you know, with whatever their agenda is. But the yeah, average... It's almost like they, they live to distinguish themselves from the other side rather than to say something that's actually objectively true. They do, but the average person who is into politics and stuff like that, they can become so uh, enamored with their way of thinking that they will never consider that there may be truth uh, in the other side, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, um, I was going to ask you something totally different. You saw this interview with uh, where they're now claiming that Obama was gay and had all kinds of gay experiences <laughs> no no i haven't seen that okay so that's that's some edge internet stuff here at no no that's that tucker carlson that's tucker carlson on on uh, twitter really well tucker is the paragon of truth isn't he <laughs> so i i just i guess i'm gonna have to take that seriously i i don't watch enough tucker actually but you I, know but some people will think of the last time i watched tucker but i guess i'm missing out on some really fabulous content some people will take those statements as the gospel because they just hate Obama. And some people yeah. will take stuff about Trump as the pure gospel just because they hate the guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so the struggle is, I mean, we, we, we have We, no we got to take a break. We got to take a break. Oh, okay. All right, back in the studio. Uh, so when we vehemently uh, take one side, take one position, and are not willing to look at anything else, and are not even willing to look at the, uh, to see if there is something that would tear our position apart, you're saying that we are like scientists. Um, wow. Um no, I don't think I would have gone there at all. <laughs> I would have said that we're like humans. It's, it's human nature to seek confirmation and avoid falsifying evidences. Uh, because, look, we, we want to know things. You know, the old line is knowledge is power. And it is. Knowledge gives us the ability to fly and make microwave ovens and space shuttles that don't blow up most of the time. So we want that, we want knowledge. We wanna feel like we know because when we feel like we know, we feel like we have control. Um, but this is all an illusion. 
And to be intellectually honest means to seek out falsifications. You, you rigorously and seriously are devoting time out of your life to say, hmm, I believe X. Let me look for evidences of not X. But it doesn't... Let me seriously consider those. But who does that? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you have, a, you have a scientist who will fall in love with his theory, right, or her theory, and they will spend a lifetime trying to prove that theory. Yeah. You know, and they will get journals like Science and the general public to believe, oh, this theory just got confirmed. And they may and so even... love this word. They may even get inklings that something is wrong, you know, but they don't yeah. take that road. They don't want to go in that direction. Yeah, exactly. And isn't it the same thing then with uh, all of us? I mean, it's exactly what you're saying, human, human nature, you know. Those people yeah, it's, who... It's the human condition. Those people who want to believe that Obama has gay lovers, you know, uh, they'll believe that. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. don't care what the evidence is. You know, the interview that this guy did, there is, you know, one guy's word against the other. There is no evidence whatsoever. But if you want to believe something, you will. And if you want to believe that, yeah. you know, that uh, Putin is antichrist, you're going to believe that no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I started by talking about the country circling the drain. And any time that the intellectual level of any society um, falls away from the principle of intellectual honesty, that society is doomed. What replaces and, intellectual honesty? Well, what replaces it is this confirmation bias where people build little echo chambers for themselves and they live within those echo chambers. And uh, whatever your echo chamber is, there are countermanding evidences against it. And so you have to be more and more vigorous and, uh, and, and even violent in your reaction against countermanding evidence. And so that's precisely the stage that we're in in this society's demise at wow. this point. We're, we're in the stage in which people are violently defending their echo chamber against countermanding evidences. And so, uh, you know, no good can come of it. Well, and you, we see this with uh, people who are promoting global war warming and those who are against it, the idea. We see it in religion. I mean, we see it well, in it's, every it's, area of it's life. It's fundamentalism. You know, Gordon, I'm, I'm really worried about it, frankly, because now you hear the phrase national health crisis mm. being used about everything. And the reason is because that little phrase, national health crisis, mm -hmm. that is a magic phrase. That is a phrase that immediately gives the government that's quoting that phrase sweeping unconstitutional powers and literally can set the Constitution aside in the face of a national health crisis. And so that phrase, when uttered, should be terrifying to all freedom-loving Americans, the few of us that there may be left, uh, because that phrase literally means I, the person uttering it, am assuming unto myself sweeping powers to do whatever I feel 
regardless of any checks and balances that might otherwise have been imposed, imposed upon me by the Constitution. Wow. And so when we see that phrase uttered regarding, quote, the pandemic, unquote, and we see what happened as a result of that, now we see that phrase uttered about emissions, global warming, guns, even, even guns, okay? We have a grand total of about 40,000 deaths per year in the United States of America due to all forms of gunshot. Hmm. of which about 57% of those are suicides. So we're talking somewhere around 20,000 gun homicides in a nation of a third of a billion people, 20,000 homicides. Most of those, over 60%, are strictly inner city in five major cities, primarily gang and drug-related violence. So we're talking... We're talking a couple thousand genuine, just full on pick up a gun and shoot somebody dead or mass shooting kind of homicide. It's an infinitesimally tiny proportion, but now it's being called a national health crisis. And what that phrase enables the purveyors of the phrase to do are to invoke emergency powers to do things that are flatly opposed to the Constitution. But well, that's, that's they're just. They're, It's confirmation bias. But isn't that the dream of the evidence? Isn't that the yeah, dream of, of isn't isn't it the dream of every government to have unlimited power? Not anywhere Absolutely. on the planet. Not just in the United States. Oh, throughout human history. So here we have this pesky constitution. What do we do with it? Well, we invoke the magic words, national health crisis. And now we're able to do things that the Constitution would otherwise not let us do. We got half a minute, so you think this is going in the wrong direction? I, well, frankly, I think we're over the cliff. I mean, this this whole idea of, you know, we're on the slippery slope. We're, we're plunging at light speed toward the bottom. I mean, this society at this point is in its death throes. And I firmly believe that some form of totalitarianism will be emerging in the next decade. Because uh, I, I think we're literally at the point of full-on violence of people in their fundamentalism, absolute lack of intellectual honesty, absolute unwillingness to get to any core principles. Wow. Well, thank you for that wonderful prediction. We'll have to find do a scientific process to see if it's true. <laughs> right. A decade from now, let's see. All right. Bye-bye, folks. Be sure to tune in next time for another unique perspective on your whole person health with your host, Dr. G. And don't forget to share the goodness with friends and family and visit our website at fitpositiveconfident.tv and follow Dr. G on Twitter at Dr. G Fitness. God bless and stay healthy.